I'm Natasha, and I'm Red. And together we are Syllogism, a science, culture, and philosophy challenge podcast on the edge of chaos. This season, we'll invite guests of varying expertise to playfully investigate Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Each episode will explore a particular type of intelligence according to Gardner. This week's challenge was to create an original work of visual art to assess our visual and spatial intelligence, according to Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. We invited artist and comedian Casey White to help explore the idea of evaluating subjective qualities of art. Casey loves injecting a bit of science into his art to make all kinds of monsters, just like the one he created when he told Brett he loved his painting. Enjoy! Oh my gosh, this is this is gonna be fun. This is gonna I say I say every episode is my favorite episode, but this is gonna be my favorite episode. Wonderful, great, good, good, good. Uh, someone sent me, I think someone sent me your Jeffrey Bezos video, The Clock Inside of a Mountain. And yes. I was like, that's it. I love that. I love that by the way, because I've been a huge fan of like the long noun foundation forever. So yeah, when I yeah. saw it, I was like this guy is awesome. One of the cool things about it is I mean the first people to think about how human civilization could be on the brink of some kind of disaster and how we have to think about how we would survive over the course of millennia. And so the clock mm-hmm. itself is designed to be a 10,000 year clock, longer than any previous civilization has ever existed and probably longer than we will survive. I often think about things and how far they will go in the future. In fact, that's what a lot of my series on TikTok is drawing art and drawing imaginary scenarios where the future might come and what it might look like. And I did a follow-up video on that where we talked about some of my favorite ones, some of my favorite time capsules for the future. Uh, One of them is called The Mom Project. And it's a guy who bought a salt mine, I think in Turkey, and he's just started writing down everything he could find on the internet. And he's written it all down on clay tablets and he's put them in stored boxes where the salt mine will eventually be crushed within 50 years and it'll be sealed in. It it could last a million years, but it's like, also the internet is mostly porn. So he's, he (laughs) has a record of that 50,000 years from now, some sentient organism will stumble upon this. A meme. It's like a, like a prank we're playing on future. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you were going to get nuclear codes. No. Why is it called the mom project? It has to do with mnemonic or memento. Oh, okay. I can't remember, but it is an acronym. It's not necessarily like mommy, sorry, mommy. Mom, it's not that. No, it is no, like no, when no. the aliens show up and they find the last remnant of civilization. And that is just your mother. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I got to say, I'm really fucking sick and tired of all this like end of the world talk. Like how arrogant mm-hmm. are we to think that that the world would end in our era? Like, get the fuck. We're not that special. Uh, no but are that dumb and impulsive and ideologically possessed i don't think so we are not that fucking special bad or good i think you're both right in that (laughs) i'm serious i'm serious is every time we think that it's an apocalypse apocalypse literally etymologically means the end of all things and it's supposed to be the very, very end. Like it's over after that and oblivion, just like right. before the Big Bang. That'll never really happen except for trillions upon quadrillions of years from now. And we're not going to be there. But every time we do think that it's an apocalypse on a global scale, it never is. The Black Plague was mostly just kind of like a weird thing for Europe and France was really bad. But then if you checked out Iraq and Iran at the time and Afghanistan, they had robots they had automatons built on steam and they had technicians and doctors and it was the golden age of Islam. So an apocalypse is not necessarily an apocalypse for everyone. So I do agree with you, Natasha, in that we are not all that stupid and it will suck for some of us and it will lead for a few more generations. Guys, I've like not here for the last five minutes. I mean, you froze, (laughs) we had our own thing going on. I thought it was the rapture and some of us got taken. (laughs) I have no idea even what we were talking about, so. Yeah. When we were recently talking about who's going to survive after us, 
And that's a funny topic because I happen to make videos specifically on that where I study how animals and certain animals that my fans tell me, we want to see armadillos become intelligent or we want to see the next civilization be crocodiles. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds pretty silly. But let's break it down. What do crocodiles have in their social hierarchies? Do they have tool construction? And if so, what purpose? I got a choke red, your sexy pumpkin daddy drawing. I took a screenshot of it. I was like, oh, I don't know if you can see it, but there's sexy pumpkin daddy. He's kind of got like abs. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at, yep. look at your face in this screenshot. It's so <laughs> good. It's so flattering. I, I can tell that pumpkin daddy is doing kegels while standing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so this to me, like what you do, you basically take the cultural zeitgeist, all of people's like fear and the horror and intrigue, and you basically like turn that into really fucking cool art. That's very kind. Yes, I would love to. I would love to say that I have my finger on the pulse of the mind of the world. The <laughs> ones worth having your finger on. In I will say that. I will. I'm proud to say it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bless it on other people, but yes. <laughs> as, as someone who's never thought about fingering an armadillo, that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, no. Actually, you could get a sexually transmitted disease. Word. Really? They're nasty. No. Or is it if you eat an armadillo, you get salmonella? All of it. Don't I touch them. I think it's them. bad. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Maybe it's like, oh, is it super gonorrhea? Someone, someone fact check that. Yeah, we should fact check that. Are you vegan, by the way? I think you are, right? I don't... How did you know? I thought I saw something about vegan shenanigans. Yeah. I'm not a Facebook vegan. I like to call... I think that's a term I want to keep spreading, is that okay. there are people who very much in your face about it and want everyone to change. This is another quirky thing that Casey happens to be. So you're a <laughs> raccoon, basically. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am an obligate carnivore. Cool. So I will eat vegetables and I experiment with little vegan things and they are delicious, but there's something... I don't know how to describe it exactly, but there's something almost that I feel like a hollowness. If I have too many meals without meat. That's your arteries unclogged. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, <laughs> yeah that, there's an openness that should not be there, but there are problems. That's your asshole opening up. Like <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, that's all that fiber just dilating me from inside. So yeah, why do I feel like there's not this globulate of fat? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm having a heartburn right now. I think, you know, I think if I had if I had responses to food that made me feel anything like that, I would change just because I would have to. I don't want to be uncomfortable for having eaten. This but is I, like the intrapersonal intelligence challenge, which is coming next, like preview to like Brett's lack of like body awareness. I, no, I, I would say it's the complete opposite. People who are hypersensitive to what's going on in their bodies wind up being imprisoned by that hyper awareness. So I would say that being too self-aware is a kind of handicap. That's a very interesting perspective from someone who does not have that perspective. That's great. So, so would you, um, so would you eat the, uh, would you eat the lab meat then, like when it comes out? I hope they get it right, but I've watched yeah. too much Blade Runner and Soylent Green. Well, I'm very lucky to be vegan right now. Nowadays, there's a little leaf symbol next to the one for me, and I know exactly what I want, and I don't have to decide on anything. And I'm like, there's only two options. Wonderful. That's less decision-making skills for me. Yeah, that's a really good point. When, so, for instance, if you go to the Cheesecake Factory, they have a menu so vast that it's almost like as big as the Library of Alexandria. And then no matter yes. what you eat, you're always dissatisfied because you could have had that other thing. So, yeah, yeah, there is something to be said about limited choice. That's why when you go to an exclusive restaurant, the chef is making what he's fucking making and you're going to eat it and you don't get a choice. I think this is a good segue into our topic because I think it's a work in progress. All, all art. I think if you think about like our current food landscape, food is a lot of times an art and it's a process, right? We don't have a finished portfolio necessarily on human consumption. We have what Howard Gardner calls a process folio. Love it's that. like, that's what he... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Brett likes to cough and call bullshit instead of just saying bullshit. He likes bullshit. Like it's, yeah, that's his favorite little tick. So I was at this food thing the other night. I went to a thing at Andrew Jackson's home, the Hermitage, as one does in the South. And there was a like historical food talk that someone came and gave. And they said that when 
restaurants originated from the French Revolution, it was because all the chefs of the lords and lady motherfuckers, they had to flee and they didn't have any lords and ladies to cook for. So they went out and just started making restaurant food for people, like saying, we got meat on the menu, come eat today, you know. They'd wow. be like, root vegetables are in season. And so you'd go like a vegan and you'd get like one thing. But, That's amazing. But that, but now look at where we are. We're like coming down from the golden age of restaurants. I and think. now we're eating vegan. <laughs> but, but I mean, and some of us like abstract art and some of us like impressionism. And, uh, you know, we all have our tastes. Yeah. But a lot of it, food is political as well. Art is political. All of this is a political stance. Yeah, I agree with you. I love the idea of the process folio, but I also enjoy evolution. And in a specific sense with Darwinism, it is adaptation by accident. It's like, we didn't intentionally create restaurants in that little story. So in the same vein, it's now adapted and evolved and diversified into different ecosystems and different cultures and different places. So it's very much like art in that it is political, in that immigration is a big part of restaurants and people coming to different melting pots. And in the same vein, Art, of course, has always been political. Yeah, I just feel like things can be co-opted for anything. So it can be political, yes. And people who look at things through predominantly a political lens can somehow superimpose their little lens of politics on everything. And also it can be entirely something else and actually something meaningful stripped away of the politics. Because I think, unfortunately, politics is a kind of thing that is... A kind of prism that makes you oftentimes lose the luster of the totality of a piece of art because you'll see you'll, i don't think so come to something with your lens and your lens has got a crack in it and you're seeing this little bit of light and you think you see the genius in here and it's political and guess what maybe it never was maybe it's just you and so you're seeing yourself in the art and the problem with that is if all you're doing is looking at yourself you're just masturbating I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think, no, I think you cannot separate politics from anything. Everything is political because what is the definition of politics except people deciding who gets what? Resource sharing. That's what politics So is. what are you, what kind of art do you look at? Because, so, so, so like for instance, I can see a little bit of agitprop and go, oh, look, I recognize what that is being used for. That's um, intentional, though. But that, but the, and that's intentional. So, so the fact that someone comes to something with a certain kind of palate. So, for instance, if I go to a restaurant and I don't have a particular interest in the kinds of seasonings that go along with, let's say, South Asian cuisine, I may not taste it the way that you do. That doesn't necessarily mean that anything political is in there. The political is in you. Mm, Again, no. I love that you're both correct. I love that you're <laughs> both correct. Because he you said you weren't going to do this, Casey. No, no, no. I know, but I see both your points because I've been to a lot of museums yeah. where you go there and I have many a neurodivergent friend who go to museums and they don't want to read the blurbs because they want to play games and look at the funny paintings and say, let's try and find the painting that looks just like me. And I'm sadly very neurotypical and I'm very excited to learn things about what was the artist saying? What was going on during the times? And I'll look at a fun, beautiful, colorful painting and I'll say, this makes me think that the painter was being optimistic and happy about what was going on. But in reality, it was like sarcastic political tension. Right. And some mm -hmm. French lady came up to me and she was like, this translates to, I forget. And I was like, oh, like Jubilier, I forget or to forget. And it was like, does it mean like you're forgetting your childhood or anything? And they're like, no, that's the name of a type of prison where you're dropped there and people forget about you. And it's all this outside background political information and sometimes not political information because you're right too in the sense that some people don't want to talk about politics and they'll have abstract art like a square and you'll see that and you're like what is it supposed to mean and there's a very big movement through modern art that's saying it doesn't have meaning it's not supposed to have meaning and i wanted to make a space where you were free to not feel anything and just think that it's pretty because so some things are meant to not have politics but even the absence of politics is a reaction to politics Sometimes. Exactly. And that's why you're both right. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> this is why we call it syllogism, by the way, because we 
come together uh, to create uh, a new idea. If Natasha, then Brett. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So, okay. So, yes and no. I like this because this is a summary of uh, my entire analysis of uh, Gardner's idea of visual spatial intelligence. That there are some components to visual intelligence that can be quantified. Uh, art can be quantified in some ways, but then there are pieces that should and by definition will always remain subjective. Art is art because it contains subjective components. And yeah. so, well, you know what, motherfuckers, let's just do let's just do the challenge. I can't okay. wait to see your art. Mm -mm. <laughs> Actually, if like, and you're eating a fucking apple too. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, he's a vegan. I'm trying to make him feel welcome. <laughs> I could be having a I could be having a porterhouse steak, but instead I'm eating. We're, we're in the goddamn top ten percentage of podcasts worldwide, and you're fucking eating on hmm. it. This is just disrespectful. What's the politics of me eating an apple, Natasha? I cannot. Are you going to show the painting or not? I'm fucking going to. Oh my distraction! Oh, you can't even stand it. You get. You can't wait. Okay. So so distra on. distracting, hold on, hold distracting. On. Yeah, yeah. Like, you not look at the. It's your fucking way. That's what she said. That's <laughs> I wish the resolution wow. were better on this. Yes. There's an wow. it's a, it was an eye. So it was a lot of things. <laughs> I love it. So so I so I can talk to I can talk to you about it. A big blob of paint went right in the middle and obscured a lot of the stuff that I did. Great, a happy accident. Thank you very much. So so we were talking about how it would be interesting to do something about time because you were doing something about the clock. And so for me, um, at the very center, this was an eye. The eye was supposed to be set up like was a globe that wound up kind of, kind of spiraling out into an ellipse. At the center of the globe is a black hole from which two trees are emerging. So here's the Janus point of a tree. There's actually leaves in this paint that I took from my backyard. Wow. And then... Between and then among them is these like this is like kind of really thick, so it was intent to have some kind of amplification to the surface, so that there's crisscrossing spirals that that kind of also show the Janus point of singularity and absolute expansion. And then here's a galaxy like in the corner, and there was a Necker cube for three dimensional space, and then there was not a Necker cube. So and the fact that it's an eye is because both it's it, the participatory observer and universe in which you would have to be both the thing and an observer. So. So there was a lot of shit going on here. The explanation is better than the actual art. I have no skill. This is like my first actual beat. I would agree. Uh, <laughs> wow. But there was, and there, there still is symbolism in there, and there's... Uh, oh, yeah. Heavy symbolism. Yeah. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> it's fascinating. See, I don't know if you can tell, like, but, but there's like textures. So these are all the leaves and stuff like that. So It's very expressive, and I love the found material. I think that's I, a great addition. I did try. But yes. All right, so go all ahead. Right, so first of all, I think art can be divided up into two categories ideation and execution yes well um, i know i have no execution skills so, so oh. your ideation i'm there with you and you're a verbal person so i'm like i'm there like i'm hearing the quantum soup the deep ass chakra all of that i hear it <laughs> did i see it i mean no because this is not your medium and so one of the things gardner says about visual intelligence and what he does with his students is that you have to find them in their medium. Like you can't go looking for new baseball players at the basketball court. You have to oh. find them in their domain. So you don't paint all the time. So your level of genius it may be confined to ideation and then you can't execute on it because like if you painted at all in your life, you would know that you can't do wet paint on wet and that's a special technique. Right. So you just don't have the tools and knowledge of the medium but that is a, there's a difference i would argue between acquired skill that you could teach anybody to do and clearly if i had any skill whatsoever i could have done extraordinary things with the ideation but it's the ideas that support the art that are the thing that you can't replace so you can take somebody who can draw really well but they but they may not be able to conceptualize anything better than like a pikachu let's say now my art is even worse than a pikachu but that ideation Nobody would know. No, because it's the ability to convey an idea. Oh, I, I, I would put it in the description down below where you would see that it was non-political. That ain't visual, bro. So 
<laughs> yeah, there's two pieces. Like Casey, for example, Casey uses digital art, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, I'm not buttering up the judge at all. You can't say this. <laughs> <laughs> so, much so, right, so much butter. So much butter. Vegan butter. This, vegan is why, butter. this is why time is important. You need to let him look at your stuff before okay. he gets his ass. All right. And then I want to talk about Gardner's assessment okay. of art. So I have, I have quite a few pieces I'm going to share with you guys. Please. I went around my house this morning to like look for different stuff. And like in the theme of Jeff Bezos, this I made actually for my game, which is probably the piece of art that I wish to be judged on. Amazon Estate. A bunch of beautiful ponds in Portland that are posted outside of a warehouse with the plywood and whatnot. Yeah, it says Box City. And uh, this was thanks to Jeff Bezos, our favorite friend. He's, they were creating Amazon Estate in San Francisco. And so I wanted to convey what Amazon is doing with all of their boxes and their general capitalistic consumer culture and mm. how they're creating homes for people. Wow. <laughs> so, so that was actually for my game. That's cool. I have, wow. I, I, I have a picture that she drew for this that is so nasty that I, that I, I use it as her picture on the phone. I didn't draw that. I can't, I can't even talk about it, but it's- You mean this one? It, but, but, Milk uh, and taco? Yes, this is yes, not, yes. We did not draw this. So, so <laughs> I just want to say that you should get this game and uh, we should probably all play because I guarantee it'd be a lot of fun. We should. But wow. I actually, the whole game is the work of art for me. This background thing, we did this kind of like acrylic, you know, just splatter That's kind so of cool. painting. My daughter helped me make it and I've used that for kind of like all the background on it. But the game itself, I commissioned like almost 40 artists to do different things. Like I have a Kanye one in here. Whoa. Actually, <laughs> it's Kanye and Isaac Newton, and the title is I'm Trying to Get to Uranus. <laughs> and he's asking Isaac Newton if he oh. believes in astrology. Um, oh. So, anyways, so the whole game is a fusion of like art and data. Wow. I do a lot of fucking arts shit. Yeah, I, I was so about much to more say. That I, made too. I made these fucking curtains. I make shit. And. I would say that we could judge me on this piece because I think it's okay. like the most, it's marker, you know, it's yeah. the most representative, but it, I love it. I think yeah. it's great. Those are the two pieces. Okay. All right. So if I'm going to judge, we've got the, what did the sign say? The Amazon estates. Okay. I love the Amazon estates one because, and this might not be your first thought, but the color palette, the green and yellow, you filled out the entire canvas. And it's given me immediately this yellow-green sense of, one, these two are very close to each other on the color spectrum. And also, they're in a boxy urban environment. So already, it gives a n unnatural stimulation in your brain. It makes you think of something unnatural, which is corporations and money. And I think that's a really interesting subliminal thing that comes about. I don't know if you were trying to do that, but it was really fun for my brain to kind of immediately feel this yellow and green. I think the composition of it, the fact that you centered it, you gave it dimensionality, which shows like you, you showed the faces of the cubes of the boxes. It shows that you have that three-dimensional visual in your mind. You can see like if you were going to flip the boxes, or if I were to say, draw a box from under, from beneath it, you would know how to do that. I think that's beautiful. And I do think that there's a poignant message and moral about it. And so that brings it a little more, as you would say, gravitas. And there, there is a sort of theme behind it. I do love that. I think it gets eight out of 10 Van Gogh earlobes. Is it eight out of 10 <laughs> wow. Van Gogh earlobes. <laughs> That's up there. As a vegan, you would not eat those yeah. earlobes. <laughs> Completely off kilter sidebar. Did you guys hear that one of the executive managers of Impossible Burger is under investigation for biting a man's nose off? I'm that going to him. bring the masses real meat. I need to bite it off someone's face first. Kind of very cartilage-y. And I'm going to tell you, these things, they taste pretty darn good. And they use like beets to make yeah. it look red and then it cooks yeah. and it actually changes color like meat would. It is such a good simulation. Talking about this, like we all didn't know it for the past five years. Like astonishing <laughs> to me because I'm not a vegan and I would never eat this if it wasn't for someone that I know who happens to say, hey, you want to give this a shot? Well, thank you for buttering me up more <laughs> uh, right before. <laughs> so most vegans, you know, they wind up looking like anemic and they're just sad and something's missing from their life and it's fucking meat. Just 
Butter me up, put me up, and then we'll... I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to keep it try, neutral. I'm, uh... do, right, right, right. Of course. Now we're back to square one. Got it. Right. But before I judge you, I was making a cheeseburger, and it was vegan cheese, vegan burger, and it tasted so realistic, which is almost, I kind of hate it nowadays that it feels so realistic, but I started to feel it that time. And I was like, <laughs> why does it feel like I'm eating dairy for the first time in a year? And I'm like, stomach, you know that that's fake cheese and fake burger. And they're like, nope, this is a real cheese and you haven't had it in so long. I knew what was in it. And I still, it still felt so real that my body was like, come on, really? I did the Atkins diet some number of years ago, but you were not able after a couple of weeks to discern the difference in flavor between a diet soda and a real soda because you had to strictly drink diet soda. Uh, there is something to be said about how the body can trick itself into thinking it's having something that it really wants. <laughs> I am like the guy in the matrix where he says, you know, I know this is a fake steak, but it tastes so good. Why did they make him sound so bad? I'm with you guy. I'm with you. I'll join the agents. I don't yeah. mind. Well, Screw Neo. Let's get that fake meat. It's because it's weak and anemic. <laughs> fake meat is the blue pill. One of the one of the people I follow on um, on social media who I don't agree with, but I like love. I don't know why I love her, but I agree disagree with her on so much stuff. Um, she said, like, I'm gonna stop saying words like lame because it's ableist to say like that's lame or to say oh that's weak. It's ableist, and I'm like. <laughs> someone who can't help but see everything as somehow political and can't it, just be, and just can't and just can't live it's so lame <laughs> yeah it, 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 it's so it is, lame it is lame to worry about whether or not the breath you're taking could be stealing air from someone else next to you it's you, at some point you have to let it go but also here i had had a friend say this recently that i thought was really good and he and i was like well you're being harmful to other people and he said good we need harm. No, we we need harm. Think about it. Like in a lot of cases, we need harm to push us in certain directions. For example, I'll give you some harm from yesterday. So Michael Shermer was on my podcast. We were talking about conspiracy theories and stuff like this. And he mentioned a book, The Elders of Zion or something. Like that. I had never heard of it. And then I'm watching this Kanye stuff. And I'm like, where is he getting this shit? Started looking into this stuff. And I realized that Kanye was citing this book that is actually a conspiracy. It's a made up book. And I realized like the harm that Kanye is doing might actually drive people to realize the antisemitism that we have in our culture, where it comes mm. from, how conspiracies actually come about. So all the harm that he's supposedly doing might actually do us some good. I, you know, I love you, but Kanye is a fucked up motherfucker. When someone that powerful uses his podium to say things like that, people aren't going to go back to the source and then say the source itself is conspiratorial. They're going to go back to the conspiratorial source and say that is the true source. That's why we have flat earthers. That's why we have people who don't think the virus is real. It's, we shun them then and tell them you're not. But they have their own clade. And, and within that, they reinforce each other and it expands. So This is yeah. why hegemony is a good thing. Because... So if we have an overarching power in society to say, your ideas are fucking dumb, I mean, then that's what it is, bro. And, and until they figure a way to slither out from under the rocks, their ideas are dumb and we don't consider them and they're fringe. And there's a reason why fringe is fringe sometimes. And this whole like, let's normalize everything. No, let's not fucking normalize everything. Let the fringe shit be fringe shit. And sometimes we'll bring it to the main stage because it's actually good shit. But then we throw the rest of the shit, you know, under the rock again. I love this conversation so much. <laughs> this, is like, this is like my brain all the time. I love this. I always like to fight off rules in the sense of rules for my logic. It's circumstantial. What should or shouldn't we shun or back away from in society? Do mm -hmm. your own, do, if you do your own research... And you're a fucking idiot to begin with. And every downstream extrapolation that you come up with is further removed from truth. Yep. You're doomed. Exactly. I started shivering when you said, do your own research. I was like, oh no. Oh, no. That sounds like every uncle on Facebook. They're going to do their own research. They're going to find the source material and go. Maybe. Oh, true. Hi. Maybe. But, oh, you know what? This is brilliant. Oh, and Kanye's a genius. And therefore, I can't figure this out for myself, but he figured it out and he's brilliant. So, so here's the thing though. 
what Kanye is saying, there's a proxy to truth. Like there is some like weak truth, but to what he's saying, not about Jews necessarily, but about control and establishment. And that's why all these, these narratives are resonating with people because he's not wrong. Like you say shit that goes against corporate media, you're smacked down. It's just, he's oh, yeah. made the villain like the Jews and it's like, nah, the villain is kind of like the establishment. Yes. Okay. But, um, so you could, you can point to the difficulties with establishments. And point correctly to where they are, not grab on to the conspiracy that, that that draws people to hate other people. Exactly. That is dumb. So so a, having a kernel a kernel of truth is okay, but then if everything else is bad, your kernel doesn't mean shit. Yeah. I'm an optimist, I like to think. I, <laughs> I like to think that the majority of people, while it is more silent than the loud or angry people, the majority of people will be like, all right, but that's crazy. See, that that part was crazy. I like what he was saying yeah. before, but then you said that thing about that one thing, and I'm not onto that. So I think I like to think that it'll filter for the right minds and the right voices. And speaking of right. minds and voices and subjectivity, I will finally judge the second piece. Oh, 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 okay. That, I'm glad you did that because we could go on ad infinitum. I actually need someone to take the wheel and it's never Brett. So I'm I have a gas pedal. <laughs> I'm drifting all the time. So uh, do you have a title for your piece? Untitled. Yeah. Untitled. Yeah, I just, love that. My, my, the title is um, Temporality. Oof. Oof. That hits hard. I will say that I love... Don't be laughing over there trying to, trying to persuade him. I feel like... If I were to, if I were to look at it, I would find it in a museum. I would find it in a modern art gallery because it is, no, no, I'm serious. Expressionism is very big right now. And I'm a big fan of certain abstract thinker artists. It's almost a stream of consciousness on the paper. It is a, and we were talking about what's your level of intelligence and what's your level of education on how to paint? And would you shame a five-year-old for picking up the finger paints? And Brett's not five. Brett's not five. <laughs> but his level of education in painting is, is five. Five? Oh. With that, it is a level of innocence that is articulated on the page. So even if I okay. do find some of it naivete, does the viewer have an elitist view of art? Or is it a more open-minded version where you can seem inexperienced as innocence, purity? It's good when looking at subjective art to have both minds. So with your piece specifically, I loved the cube because it gave a sort of mathematical perspective to the creation of the universe. It gave a more pragmatic, algorithmic sort of accent on your subjective view of what a universe might be. I think that art historically began when early man was hallucinating and it wasn't even on drugs. It was on like when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed. There is a thing called entoptic imagery and that's because all human brains have the same structure and physiology and that's what Young was talking about originally with the collective unconscious. So we do see a lot of the same imagery and I think that I don't, it's not an insult to say that it looked like cave art, but it does, it <laughs> did look, it did remind me of an attempt at this like otherworldly, like what am I seeing here that other humans might see? Am I calling you a Neanderthal? Yes. <laughs> Is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? No. No, it's just the best episode on there. Like the Geico the caveman was a little more refined. Yeah. So... I think that there's a lot more to break down in your piece, but that doesn't necessarily negate away from Natasha's piece. Natasha's piece is very honest. It's brave and it pierces. So she got, what was it? Eight out of 10, what, what did I say? I think eight out of 10 armadillos, was it? You got Van Gogh earlobes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I would give your piece, oof. 18 out of 20 Chichichia Bob Rosses. Nice. So yeah, so you get 18 out of 20 Bob Rosses and Natasha, you get, I'm going to change my answer to eight and a half out of 10 Van Gogh okay. earlobes. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, there okay, you good. go. So I do, I do want to say that we were supposed to make an original piece of art for this competition. I make art every day, baby. Where, where's, where, where's your art? I make art every day. I made art. I made Where's your art? That's not here. I, I made this. I, I, Look at, I, I got my I, fucking watercolors out right here, bitch. <laughs> 
What? Did you what? Natasha, did you tell Brett about my my story I shared with you right before we got I on? I did not. I figured I would let you share. Um, um, yeah, yeah. She mentioned something that I called her. I was so upset. I was like, oh my, it's ruined. Now, now I'm going to show something and it just looks like this blur. And, like I did nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I want to make you feel better because um, when I was in school, there was a class that I took called Composition and Art History. Hmm. And the teacher actually started the class off and he was like, hey, everybody, so I have a glass eye. You're all going to be artists when you grow up, but I just want you to know that I'm better than you because I only have one eye. And we all laughed and he's like, no, this class, I will be showing you optical illusions and I will be showing you how the eyes of humans all see the same thing, except for those who do not have the same eye structure as you. I will be able to see optical illusions for what they are. I don't fall for illusions. You are the masses and I am the <laughs> master. So that was the class. And one of the first assignments, I was supposed to make five different pieces and I forgot to make one piece. And I come up to class and they're like, you have to have five, not four. And I said, oh shit, oh God, what do I do? I'm just gonna, I've got five seconds. I have to put it all together. And I was using glue. And then all of a sudden I put it up on the board and that's when the teacher walked in and he looked around and then he ran in a beeline straight to my piece that I just slapped up. And I thought he was angry at me because he was looking really <laughs> furious. I was like, he can tell it's wet glue. And he just said, who did this one right here? I need to know. And I had to meekly raise my hand. And I said, that's my, that's me. And he said, in all my 13 years of teaching this class, this is the greatest piece I have ever seen anyone wow. do. This is the magnum opus of my entire teaching career. I love this piece. Everyone should esteem to be this genius in articulating abstract expressionism. And you might think, wow, oh, that's a nice moral of the story. Sometimes something beautiful can get... No, it was a curse because for the rest of my days in that class, the teacher would always come up to me behind my shoulder and he'd be like, no, make it like you did last time. Make it remember no. how good it was <laughs> when you put that piece up. And I was like, I can't capture that again. Let's just say, um, you know, Brett, you might be in a canon of your own. That would be safe. That would be safe yeah. to say. Yeah, like, like a clown can. And, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like um, there's something to be said about genre, right? And like the pieces of art that can be objective. I think have a lot to do with intrinsic skill and development of that skill, mm -hmm. mastery. But if we think about like impressionist art, you know, like Monet, for example, they just throw the Campbell's soup all over the fucking Monet recently. It was, no, it was Van Gogh. The whole thing that this is getting at is, again, these kind of like establishment versus a new growth. And that's, I mean, that's what this entire challenge is fucking about. So what this entire season is about. We've talked about... Multiple mm. intelligence theory as kind of challenging the establishment of G. And I think the funny thing about what we're talking about here, we've talked a lot about art, but art is kind of like Gardner's thought process on visual intelligence because spatial intelligence and spatial awareness was actually pretty well covered by G. Like general intelligence has a great way um, of kind of determining who's a good shape rotator, obviously, like I'm a good shape rotator. Well, when both think, of you, you both have cubes on yours. You're the, the uh... Is that a cube? I can see a cube. I heard about a cube. I, <laughs> I heard about a cube. But <laughs> what I want to talk about, though, is this bit that Gardner tries to get at, which I can kind of appreciate. So he did Project Zero, which was a thing that he did for a long time to try and incorporate multiple intelligence theory into education. So he had this project called Arts Propel. And it was where they were trying to look at three different types of competencies in art education. Production, so that's like composing or performing, painting, drawing. Perception, which is like affecting distinctions or discriminations within art, like what Casey was doing when he was looking at our art. And reflection, stepping back from one's own perceptions or productions and being able to kind of like see the methodology of other people. So they actually came up with a quite a bit of like assessment structure and he puts it in the book. He has a process folio assessment system. So he's talking about, I don't really like the concept of having a portfolio because a lot of times these people are learning how to be artists. And so they have a kind of a continuum of art, like some of it's more finished than others. And I like this notion because we're all a work in progress. 
But then he has like very distinctive ways of assessing the art. And one of those is kind of like the completeness of it, right? So to use words like neurotypical or neurodivergent, we're talking about like establishment, hegemony, these kinds of things. If a piece of art is not complete, then it flies in the face of the status quo, of the typical, of all these things. But I think this is how we get to impressionistic art because it's not complete according to the hegemonic structures. This is terrible. But the reason that sticks speaks less to the technique because they are skillful in their technique. They just made up their own fucking technique. But it speaks towards kind of the ideation that they're breaking through some cultural norm to create a piece that is political inherently because to create a new genre or, or a new canon it has to be political. You don't just fucking fall into a new canon. It's deliberate. Mm -hmm. So that's my two cents on Gardner. I think it's not just like, oh, it looks cool. No, there's a lot. A lot goes into making something look cool. And, and I, I would just say impressionism. So the art is drawn in such a way that it is barely liminal. Like you are not supposed to really see these very loose structures that ultimately compose the piece that is designed for perception from some distance back. But you're also bringing yourself to it because now you are seeing this thing and also perhaps what it might mean to me. And so it's almost like that really is what art is supposed to be in essence. They might have broken with some uh, tradition, but in so doing, they revealed uh, a more true form of art. The girlies that get it, get it. And the ones that don't, don't. <laughs> I have a question about Gardner. Is it like a breakdown, like a scientific breakdown of how to analyze subjective art? Yeah, so there is that. I mean, you can analyze it from its like completeness and its technique. And also like you can measure art from like the consistency. Like, are you creating art every day? Are you improving upon a skill? Like those things can happen, but he's got three kind of domains. So production, reflection, and perception. So in production, is the student in control of basic techniques and principles? Again, this is no. subjective. <laughs> not with Brett, not with Brett. But it's, this is, it's not just like open air. So you're creating a construct to say, these are the techniques of a particular canon. And does the student, the student develops work over time evidenced by revisions that are productive and thoughtful. She pursues the problem in depth. She returns to a problem or theme from a variety of angles. These are things that are never going to be objective. You can try yes. to make an objective correlate for expressing a feeling, but a feeling itself is metaphysical. So we're trying mm. to quantify the expression of an already metaphysical thing. Like, get the fuck. Like, quantifying the qualia of the person doing the work, not even the qualia of the work itself necessarily. Only, Or you're doing both and then determining what's going on there in, in both cases to see whether or not someone's progressing as an artist. And my, I'm like over here making a bunch of smirks while you're reading this because every fucking criterion on there could be applied to every other human endeavor and it's not specifically artistic. And therefore, once again, fails to be anything separable as no. a, a kind of intelligence. No, I disagree. This applies only to art. But if you take those words and said, I wanted to see how someone solved a math problem, they would be identical. No, but the word creative in there is the interesting part because you can solve a math problem 10 different ways. It's the creative aspect right. that we don't care about in math usually. We, what we care about is, did you get the right answer? Well, to a student learning the rudiments of art, of math, yes. To a mathematician, no. Like an abstract mathematician, or, right. Like but, a real mathematician practicing math because you're working at the edge of what's going to become established math, perhaps. Almost like the people who created Impressionism in the first place. Yeah, it's interesting how those things kind of converge back yeah. on each other. Yeah. It sounds like what he's trying to do is trying to give a elemental sort of approach to what is a baseline way that we can measure art and mm -hmm. whether it's on the artist or on the painting itself or the political sphere going on at the time or whatever. How can you quantify something subjective? You can try as best as you can. And I think he got really close. My friends went to Italy recently, other content creators, and they saw the Sistine Chapel. And they didn't like it because they were hurried along and there was a lot of people and it was too far away. 
and they only saw the main part. They didn't see any of the like corners. And then there's like some rafters where people are doing some construction and trying to fix stuff. And you look up, you look it up on Google and it's like a little more saturated or you can zoom in on pieces and you're like, that was way funner than being surrounded in a, by smelly tourists. And it's so circumstantial. I wanted to bring up the Sistine Chapel as well, because when you're creating a piece of art, the scope matters for completeness sake. Yeah. So like, I think of myself, like I do a lot of shit. Like I make a yeah. lot of shit. I like to learn a lot of shit. So my scope is very broad, but I wonder if when Michelangelo was doing the, the Sistine Chapel, is every fucking corner of that bitch as good? I don't think so because I know that he came back to finish it and there was, um, the plaster was falling into his eyes and he like lost his eyesight. So when you think about like the scope and magnitude of, of works of art, it matters. There's it's something about the grandeur. Anytime you go to an actual cathedral, the scale of that will make you feel like you are in a position where you should be worshiping. There's something that it communicates to you that is subconscious that countless people came before you and imbued their souls into this thing so that you too could participate in the idea of God. And there's something about that so miraculous. Political. No, that's religious. Religion is politics. No. At different points in history. You'll notice oh, something a little interesting just about our two different art pieces. So Natasha will see the politics and make that. And that was really cool that she did that. And if you look at mine, Ain't nothing political in that motherfucker. And so I'm just saying oh, sometimes there is total politics in that. What I see is like you put a Necker cube in there, which Necker cube, what is the fuck does that have to do with the Big Bang, right? It, it has to do with conveying the idea of dimensionality. It is okay. and, and dimensionality which is political. Not political. No, it is absolutely it political is because our Yes, it is. Because with subject to our interpretation, it's subject to what we care about. What no, we no, think no. About. That's you making it political. It is apolitical. I human, that's one thing. Anywhere there is humans, there is politics. No, because I made it apolitically. That is completely a description of what it is to exist in time and how that has to do with what life is and flourishing. I, You guys are so interesting because you are hitting on all... I mean, this is a reverse engineering of art analyzation in the four years I spent <laughs> attacking and analyzing in so many different perspectives, any art from all history, from specific points in history, from colonial perspective to anti-colonial perspective. But you're both correct in certain circumstances. Dadaism in the early 1920s, people dressed up as lobsters in France and shouted nonsense stream of consciousness in cafes whether you call it politics or whether you call it a generation or anti-establishment or hegemony every new wave of culture that comes to the zeitgeist is in reaction to something else whether it was dadaism trying to be apolitical whether it's brett's eye of the universe trying to not at all encapsulate politics whatsoever the emotion you were trying to convey was I don't want it to be about politics because everyone else is about politics. And that's an exact like mirror reflection of people trying to be political. I could disagree endlessly about the political thing, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that too much because we would take way, way too much time on something that I think I see your point, but I don't in the way that you see my point and her point, but also have your own. We are still, whether we are thinking the same thing, we are still thinking the same way. And that's beautiful. well, and it's open, yeah, no. and that's the thing. It's an open, and which is why we do this show because even though we have disagreements, and this whole season is about a kind of disagreement that we have about the nature of the human mind, we're just we're exploring. In the end, True. you know, we'll see where we get, but we're playing around. And it would be, I will say, it would be, it would be disrespectful to look at people who are trying to do Dadaism and just get away from it at all entirely. Or modern art where they made a cube and you're like, what's the point of the cube? And they're like, there is no point to the cube. Try and relate to me with that. It would be disrespectful to not agree with or follow into the philosophy that the artist was trying to convey with their piece. Historical, like trying to pull something out of its context and explain yes. it today is, is a problem. We have to appreciate things for what they were Yes. When they were. Mm. And I, I think there's even a place for a historical things, but it's like it's within a construct of here, like where we're talking about it a historically. It still has a history, but it's just we're going to talk about it and play with it right here.
and playing with it is innocent. So, so, so for instance, if someone is painting and they're doing something Dadaistic and you look at it and you know about that history and you can interpret it in th those kinds of contexts. Or lenses, yeah, lenses, sure. So if you're yeah. going to use those lenses, that's perfectly fine. You can also look at it purely aesthetically and enjoy what it is as a work of art and not think about those things and have yes. two entirely different experiences. One is political or one has to do with the context of the age. The other one doesn't. You can also be in the context of the age from which they emerged as just art and the techniques that evolved and have them be political or not, or just aesthetic yeah. and not. You can, as a human, with the potential to exist on multiple layers of self, decide which lenses to use. I love that. Do you, do you guys know the the word art in a crochable? Have you heard of this? This is you said that I think we're on the show. I didn't know what it. Yeah, Gertrude Gertrude Stein said it to Hemingway. Um, I don't know if he, she actually said it, but it was in Hemingway wrote about it, and he, he called something that um, Hemingway wrote art in a crochable, meaning unhangable art, like it's shit that you cannot put up, like it cannot be. And I used it probably in reference to my game. This, I made this game and I made a choice to put the smoking taco as the very first motherfucking card you see. <laughs> as soon as that I is, it, I was like, that's it. <laughs> that is art and a crochet. And so I think it still exists. But it's art that is not acceptable for, for the public. As long as there are people, there will always be the preferred lens that we're going to look at things mm. through. I disagree with your, you know, 18 avocados or whatever the fuck they were. Uh, in terms of relative value, my, mine was higher than yours because you got eight and a half. If you look at mine, it was a nine. You got eight and a half out of 10. So well, those are, well, those are fractions. So you look at decimals. I gave you an eight out of 10 Van Gogh earlobes. Yeah. Right. Which is a eight, higher value than uh, eight our divided value. by ten <laughs> is eighty percent. So you got right. an eighty percent on your test. Right now, what is eighteen? It's a ninety. By Twenty with it's a ninety. <laughs> Ooh, ninety percent. Okay, Ooh. so Ooh. if one of you gets a five thousand dollar prize, and I have to pick, if I looked at the numbers, I didn't know I was making those numbers, but the ninety percent would have won. <laughs> but like you said, very succinctly, art is subjective. For all time, whether we are 10,000 years down the road and we look at an, a clock sticking out of a mountain, or if we look 10,000 years before us at the men chasing bisons in the Rock of Gibraltar. No, Casey, like, I love having you on. I really appreciated, like, this whole discussion. It was freaking awesome. You could be, like, the, you know, the third leg on our stool anytime. Of course. You were super fun, and thank you for humoring us. <laughs> For more on Casey, be sure to check out our show notes and to see more stuff that I've created, head over to theorygang.io forward slash newsletter.